Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Welcome back to Full Time with Meg Linehan. I'm Meg. You are listening to a show all about women's soccer on the Athletic Podcast Network. Technically, I am on a, a word that signifies I should not be working, but I am working. I won't say the word because that immediately jinxes us, as has already happened this week. But Steph is back. We have so much to discuss from the NWSL and the very, very congested table to the U.S. Women's National Team, the the friendlies against Nigeria, the upcoming friendlies in October and November, and then we've got expected investigation reports incoming as well. Full Time with Meg Linehan is presented by Klarna, the new smart way to pay when you shop online for tickets, team merch, and more. Of course, before we get to the rest of today's episode, as always, you can show your support of Full Time, plus get all of our women's soccer and women's sports coverage, and everything else The Athletic has to offer on our site and on our app, you can subscribe right now at theathletic.com slash full-time. All right, we're just going to skip the news and get right to it with Steph. Here we go. Steph, it feels like it's been a really long time since we've actually done a podcast. It just, this season feels like it's really starting to get away from us in a both a good and a questionable way. Um... I want to talk about U.S. Women's National Team. I want to talk about NWSL. I want to talk about investigations. I want to talk about going to Inc. Like, we've got a lot to do. You pick where you want to start, and we will go from there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's just talk about recent NWSL stuff, because I actually, like you said, it's getting away. But because the standings race is so tight, it's kind of forced me to stay with it a little bit where if you look away for one game all of a sudden you look back and it's like <laughs> Gotham are going to the playoffs now not quite that severe but you know <laughs> they're, it, they're done right it it just feels like it's so tight you kind of have to I can't attention. remember an NWSL table like this ever in the 10 like we've had some close races but this is the first time where like i feel like i've been an advocate of a decision day in the nwsl for a really long time and this is the first year where i'm like 
oh no, that's actually a justified opinion as opposed to just wanting like a nice big finale to the season. Right. I think multiple times so far this season before we've put out our, you know, Monday column, we've kind of had to be like, we need to wait on this very last (laughs) set of results because it's going to affect how we talk about each team. Same thing happened this time where we were like, Houston Dash, if they win this, they're going to leapfrog Kansas City, but they didn't. They got one point out of it. Angel City, I think, got one point out of it, right? And mm-hmm. so now <laughs> the difference between one and six is five points. Kansas City, 32. Portland, 31. San Diego, 31. Houston, 30. <laughs> is that not agonizing? This, like, But it's amazing. Like, I just really, this is one of the best ways to finish a season. I mean, so I was out in Seattle on Friday for the Seattle-Chicago game, which, again, has huge playoff implications and again another (laughs) game where we got a a 2-2 draw but it just really is this kind of I don't know like I just can't remember feeling like I don't know who's going to win the shield and it's September 13th and we've got three weeks left right like any team could take the shield you've got two teams that are going to go on to host semifinals you got two teams that are trying to host we'll call them quarterfinals whatever they are like the opening round of the playoff um it's just like everything is kind of up for grabs. Angel City's got some game in hand, like games in hand too. They could potentially mess with people. North Carolina can't be ruled out, right? And because of the structure of playoffs and it's being six teams, like you said, there's quarters kinda where some teams may get an automatic buy to the semis. Right. The structure of the six matters as well. Yeah. So your <laughs> ranking within there, like I'm sure everybody wants to play one less game. Well, I think it's and not just one less game, but, you know, to to having um, Houston Dash, you know, get a home playoff game for the first time ever. Right. Like that's actually a really important thing, too, for some of these teams of can we get the extra revenue of a home game? Can we actually finally show our fans the atmosphere of a home playoff game as well? Like maybe that's not as important for. You know, I think Portland is going to get a, a, a home playoff game probably. Some fan bases are used to that, but some are, this is going to be their first shot at it. Right, which is reminding me, please spare a thought for the poor people in the front office who are sitting here going, are we going to have to plan <laughs> logistically for another home game? or not? Should we start selling tickets? Should we ask people to, uh, do we need yeah. to hire the security, the refreshments? The, uh, yeah, I mean, like, and this is why, you know, I know that a lot of people complain about the neutral venue or neutral, the advanced <laughs> venue of the championship, but at least gives you time to sell tickets and everybody knows where they're going to go. Like, again, I don't think we're quite at that point where we can shift back into the mode of whoever the highest seed team remaining hosts the championship just because logistically trying to plan all like trying to mentally think through where playoffs are going to be when they're going to be there's a lot of moving pieces right now (laughs) right i look at the top six seven maybe eight teams and each one of them kind of has a different relationship with their home venue and so Whenever we go through the inevitable kerfuffle at the end of the season (laughs) where people talk about exactly what you talked about, I'm like, I want – there should be some kind of, like, simulator where you have to plan a game. (laughs) And it forces you – You can complain if you actually do the logistical planning of trying to turn around a – yeah. Front office simulator. (laughs) That would be – such a stressful, boring <laughs> it's game. Not, it's not appealing in the slightest. But yeah, I mean, it's just I I don't 
again, I never envy any of this, but I think that is kind of the nice thing about having, we know we're going to Washington DC that final weekend in October. We can kind of plan around things. I think it should be, you know, this is the the first time that we're going to get a game like this at Audi Field. I was just there for the US Women's National Team. Like it's a good spot for a big game. So we we basically know the Washington Spirit are not going to be in it. So it's kind of a bummer. But, you know, I think the question is, is who, it, you know, how hard is it right now for potentially the top eight teams to think about, okay, am I going to travel to DC, right? If you get a and this is just a random a random pick, but if you get a San Diego Portland final or a San Diego Oil Rain final, are these two West Coast based fandoms gonna travel to DC for the championship and potentially on short notice? That's that's always the big challenge of the of the championship is you gotta kinda make a leap of faith. <laughs> I think my one piece of advice there is that you, you keep noting in the column, like, live soccer is really fun. If you're able to go, then go. And the Universal Championship is really one of the best soccer parties of the year, whether yep. your team is in it or not. Yep. I mean, if you just barely, <laughs> if you were a team that it's just got eliminated. It's actually better if your team isn't in it, because right. you can just drink and enjoy it. You, no stress about, like, I'm watching Sun Aces right now, and I'm just living and dying with every play, because I'm a Sun fan, for better or for worse. But yeah, if you don't have any stake in it, just you go, you day drink, you snack, yeah. you're, you're rowdy yeah. with your friends. You so. get to maybe like team up with one of the other supporter groups and just like have fun. And, and yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I've seen um, when championships have been in Portland and, and the Thorns aren't in it and the Riveters are like, all right, who are we partnering with? <laughs> like, right. let's, you if know, you, there is, there is an appeal to it. If you have the means to go, regardless of your team in it, I highly recommend just going. Yeah. I will say the the vibe within Audi. Have you been to a game at Audi Field yet? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you would remember the press box if you if you have. Yeah, probably Audi is somehow a venue that I have not been to yet. Yeah, um, I somehow have actually spent a lot of time in DC this season, but I, I will say like the. The stadium is an interesting one, just to like completely go off off tangent here. But you know they spend a lot of money on the stadium. Obviously, it's DC United's home stadium, but it's so interesting because when you're actually in your seat, like on the field, it's a beautiful spot. Like all of the sight lines are amazing. the The supporter section is all safe standing. Right, the other side is this intensely steep climb to the point where I was just like, if I had like two to three beers, I would not want to be up there because I would not trust myself and I to be fair have been fairly intoxicated in the top level of Red Bull Arena so I know that vibe but <laughs> it is it is just it's a beautiful stadium and then you get it out into the concourse and it's I don't know it's something that I'm always talking about with people when I'm actually out there because it feels so underdone but the the little like Heineken deck in the corner is actually a really cool spot to watch a game um it'll be it'll be interesting and I think you know to some of the the other reporting that we've done, like the brands showed up last year in a way that they had not done before. And I think this year is only going to be a lot bigger. So I think this is really going to be the first true check of like what an NWSL championship is like in a big city where you might get lost in the shuffle a little bit, right? Like Mm -hmm. Louisville, I think was really good because everything felt so close and contained in the stadium and the, the supporter thing, you know, like everything was kind of in this little area 
And downtown was so small that you were just running into people nonstop. Mm-hmm. And DC is obviously a much bigger location to try and plan around. So I'm very curious to see what the vibe of this is. I think this being a good event, any championship being a good event is also part of, we mentioned earlier, the relationship between teams and their home venues. And the more that venues, if they're not under the direct control of a team, which most of these are not, see that like, oh, there's money in this and there's a reason for us to make room on our schedule and not treat these people as like a secondary or tertiary tenant, it becomes a lot easier to do the stuff we talked about where like you can kind of move the venue around as necessary or give people home field advantage because they've earned it through the standings because you know as we said not everybody has the same relationship with their venue yeah all right let's talk about i know that we we've talked about the table we've talked about the championship but just in terms of you know we have eight teams i think legitimately in a spot where they could make playoffs um it has been, I think, really, you know, being at that rain Chicago Red Stars where every goal felt very, very important. And then that that <laughs> equalizer from Rose Lavelle, I was in a suite at that point. So I, I felt okay to like legitimately scream out loud <laughs> <laughs> when it happened. I did not, was not in a press box, so I was able to react. Um, it was, yeah, I mean, it's just like, I feel like the intensity is here in September in a way that, you know, like you have Alex Morgan scoring goals 14 and 15, right? And then let's, okay, time out. Let's talk about the San Diego Washington Spirit game because <laughs> this needs to be taught. Like so much happened. <laughs> That's, it's also very funny to me that in a weekend where we also got like Carolina five racing Louisville one, <laughs> Or that crazy like rain, Chicago Red Stars 2-2, you know, the game. I guess when you look at it, you see a 4-3 game. You're like, that's probably the one where things got a little interesting. And yeah, it was Spirit Wave. But how it got to be (laughs) 4-3 is like so so unique to this like chef kiss league. I just, so it was also happening as I was on my way to the airport in Seattle. So I was watching on my phone for a really long time. And then I was boarding the plane and I was immediately like, get Delta, please give me, (laughs) give me the live TV. And it kept kind of cutting in and out too at certain points. So I was like mentally freaking out. And the dude next to me was like, what is wrong with you? Um, But fortunately, I didn't miss any of the goals. But I mean, you have Amber Brooks brace, Amber Brooks double mids, (laughs) (laughs) Alex Morgan (laughs) scoring goals, Ashley Hatch with that like legitimately last real play of the game penalty kick for the i mean it's just penalty kicks for both teams yeah if you just posted like the the list of the goals scored (laughs) that in itself is like that's storytelling baby (laughs) (laughs) that's a narrative we got a narrative right also the fact that this is washington's first win since the first week of the season like Uh. There's just so many layers to this game where I'm just like, what a, a perfect, perfect Saturday narrative where you just, again, right. I, none of it. I, I really, you know, not 
not to like put judgment one way or the other on sports betting, but can you imagine if there were like one person out there who was like, I'm going to put $10 on Amber Brooks scoring two goals against San Diego and what that payout would have been because it had to have been like a million dollars. It ha- and at least you had to have walked away with like a thousand bucks off of 10, off of something like that. Just the odds of it. She's a defender. She's also Amber Brooks, who is like, you know, in some ways it's, it's like part of the great narrative of the success stories in this league, right? Of the players who just keep grinding and grinding and grinding and they're still here and you're like, oh, they're still playing and they've got like somehow like a hundred caps or something like that. And you're just like, oh, it's kind of a testament to. <laughs> Yeah. Their willingness, their willingness, or how, like how much they freaking love playing soccer, to be willing to do it for whatever they've been getting paid for the past mm-hmm. five to ten years. Well, so. and also just like resiliency after getting waived and and all like, right? Yeah. Amber Brooks's Wikipedia, like if you look at the teams that she's played for, it's it is not a short list yeah. compared to other players. Sorry, I just had to look. Uh, not including your Euro- European teams like Thorns, Seattle, Houston. Uh, OL Rain Spirit, yeah, yep. So bouncing around, yeah. I mean, it's just uh, that to me was. I mean, as much as I like a good, actually good <laughs> game, to me a good like, and I will say it got a little dicey in the second half where it started getting a little more physical, right? Like, I don't want that part of it, but the a four three game on national television, I think, is always a good thing, just because it does have that element of just sheer chaotic entertainment that the NWSL is really good at, right? Like, we haven't seen a lot of results like this. I was talking to to a few folks over the weekend who are not necessarily, like, super well-versed in NWSL, and and they were kind of asking, like, well, has the league gotten better? And I was like, I I mean, that's actually kind of an interesting question because I don't know if the league has gotten – we're not seeing, like – the advancement of a Chelsea or a Barcelona, right, mm-hmm. in this league. It's still very, you know, the the NWSL stereotypes about <laughs> what the, the quality of the play is, is transition, right? All mm-hmm. like, And I don't think that's changed in a number of years, but I was thinking back to like, I mean, we've we've lived through it, but like all the, the 7-1 results that we used to get in the early days of this league, like when the, the breakers would get completely thrashed by someone or... Um, you know, like there, there were kind of, and to be fair, we got one this weekend, right. With, Mm -hmm. with North Carolina, but those feel a lot less common. We're not seeing teams really score five, six, seven goals all that much anymore. And so I think that part of it has improved, but it is really interesting when you get a goal, when you get a game that combines for seven goals total and is just Mm -hmm. pure, it just I think it always reminds me of the Portland Thorns Western New York semifinal four mm-hmm. three in Portland with Western New York. Like that to me is the ultimate chaotic four three game. That is an interesting question, maybe for an entire podcast later about like the overall quote unquote level of the league. I do think very quickly that there are players in year one who could not hang on NWSL teams now. And that overall, the average sophistication of your team has maybe, like, been dragged up a little. But you're right in that it's not, like, I don't think we've seen, like, major evolutions here. Although I would suggest maybe teams coming in, like, the wave and performing like they do is suggesting, like, 
you know, or the even interim coaches coming in and overhauling, like Juan Carlos Amoros in Houston, like getting them to within snapping distance at first all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these are intriguing like developments, but you're right in that it's it's also like uh, no, it's the four three chaos league. <laughs> <laughs> like we're we're just not seeing like big tactical developments in this league. I don't think. Right at the moment. Not yet. And that, I mean, to be, I think that's okay. But I think also at this point, like, that is the role of someone, you know, like the fact that the league has now hired an actual person that is dedicated to the actual play of the league. That's the question maybe of what are the resources that teams and players might need over the next decade to where, like, we are seeing (laughs) some tactics (laughs) beyond just like, okay, you know, yeah, it's a very, it's a very transitional league. So I will be, you know, I'll be curious to see, but I I do think that you're right, that there is probably a whole, a whole episode on that to be done. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Um, all right, final final NWSL thoughts in terms of actual league play. Uh, it was in the column this week, but we, we did discuss kind of the, the bottom four teams a little bit. Gotham has already ruled out a playoff contention of Louisville kind of sliding away um, right at the moment. Orlando also, you know, I, I will say, like, I think Orlando has had a pretty decent season. Overall, yeah. like, um, I, th- I think they found what Gotham wanted is still looking for is where they kind of stabilized a little bit yes. after the coaching changeover, where maybe that's a relief in and of itself. Of course, players want to win. Like, the defining characteristic of every player in this league is they're all like, I hate losing more than I love winning. <laughs> and so, of course, they all want to win. But there's yeah. a certain relief as well to be found in just like stabilizing from game to game. And I think that's something that maybe a Gotham or even a racing is still searching for right now. Yeah. And then you also have Washington spirit still in that bottom four. And I know that we just talked about their first win, but you know, I think what's really interesting about the spirit is that I don't know if they need, you know, obviously they, they made the coaching change right beyond that. Again, that, that roster was never, if you look at that roster (laughs) that had mostly just come off of winning a championship, they should not be in the bottom four. But that's also, I guess, to be fair, some of the the interesting... I mean, also, when you look at this table, right? Like, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. You have Orlando in ninth place, who have a goal differential of minus 15. Mm-hmm. Louisville is minus 14. Gotham, oh my God, 
minus 24, but then you have the spirit in, in 10th place and they're only minus four, right? So they don't fit <laughs> right. in kind of the rest of this group. Um, and to be fair, they also have two wins, 10 draws. Compare yes. that to Gotham, four wins and 14 losses, zero, which is so funny because Gotham last year was the team of managing to earn draws. But yeah, it's just, it is a really, I don't know, the table this year is so fascinating to me. The Spirit Abzulia felt like as much as luck can influence a game, like whatever you want to define luck as, they have gotten kind of a, a heaping spoonful of bad luck here and there and like you said with the draws like some games where it just like slipped through their fingers or whatever versus gotham like don't think the games were slipping through their fingers i'm not sure the fingers were in reach of the game in some of these like you know what i'm saying yeah which sorry to gotham but like no it's just been yeah. a wildly underperforming season for them and i right i mean what is interesting is that you know orlando has five wins gotham has four and then you have washington and louisville each with two so you know gotham at least in that respect is it's just the problem is that they're either winning barely or they're losing and and frequently losing by a lot so yeah on the other end of the table i think they're as, as tight as it is, I do think there are teams in there who you would weight more heavily towards success than others in a playoff scenario. Um, and then some teams, you know, the in that Angel City, uh, Red Stars area, where if they manage to get into the playoffs, it's a little bit more of a long shot. And maybe their function more is like they would be a spoiler um, heading into playoffs than, than anything else. But again, that's the... <laughs> That's the exciting. I mean, this is this, this is also league. like the joy of the playoff format is that it's it's a single game. So, as we have seen <laughs> this right. year, there is no guarantee of the higher seed walking into any game this year and walking out with a win. So I don't know. The I mean, as chaotic as the regular season has been, and and we don't have a firm answer on who could potentially walk away with the NWL Shield. I feel like you get to playoffs and it's like, if you're betting on this, like Godspeed, man, because I, there's just, I, I all bets are off right. at this point. Like, truly, this season, all bets are off. If you had started this season saying, yeah, the Kansas City Current and the Houston Dash are two teams who I would say have pretty good odds of making it all the way, I would have been like, shut up. Yeah, well, because even thinking back to like some of the first columns that we were writing this season, Houston looked really shaky, especially yeah. in the, the early part of the season. And they have really just become this very cohesive team, I think, where and you you add someone like Maria Sanchez in and it's just like, OK, you have this like, I mean, come talk about goal of the weekend, right? Like I thought Rose I Lavelle had that on lock and then Maria Sanchez is like, excuse <laughs> Uh, th this is mine, thank you. I know, it was so... I'm still thinking about it. I'm thinking about it right now. <laughs> All right, let's shift over to national team stuff because it feels like a lot is happening. We just came off two friendlies with Nigeria in Kansas City and Washington, D.C. We can check in on those. We're incoming now on USA-England a couple of weeks away, and the Spain game was finally <laughs> announced after waiting for forever. And then... On Tuesday, U.S. Soccer also just announced the final two games of the year, which are both against Germany 
on the East Coast at, I don't, what is the, it's Fort Lauderdale, first of all, dry pink. I don't know what, like, I just, there's a lot of capital letters all in a row and I refuse to ingest it into my brain. Um, And then Red Bull for the final game of the year. Yeah. There, (laughs) there there's some, there are better brands and worse brands when it comes to who gets naming rights to stadiums. (laughs) Let's just say that. I mean, you know what? America first. Ugh. Ay, ay, ay. It was quite quite the weekend on MLS Twitter. Every time I happened to glance on it, I was just like, cool, great. This discourse is fantastic. Um, let's start with the Nigeria games just because, you know, I, I think the team, which correctly ha- has gotten a lot of criticism about um, opponents that they have faced this year, though, to be fair, most of the, the year was spent around qualifying. But Nigeria coming up with a goal in DC, I thought was a really mm-hmm. interesting moment. Um, and it, it was really interesting just to be in the press conferences after, because obviously, you know, you have this moment of the CBA signing happening, right? So like the mood is very, everybody's in a great mood, mm-hmm. but then also there is kind of this awareness of like, that wasn't supposed to happen. Right. So first game four nothing win, second game two, one win. And yes, there was some, you know, big rotation, not big, big, but like significant rotation between these two lineups. But I also want to be mindful of like, that's a credit to Nigeria staying like organized, knowing what's like, they look so much better in the second game. Like truly they, they took that first game and they learned from it in a way that. Right. Right. Sometimes we don't always see the U S women's national team doing of like, Oh, this is what, okay. Yeah. Sometimes what we got to do teams come in and they get hit with the big four Oh six Oh in the first game. And you can tell it just kind of deflated them. They're like, we're just here to be, you know, it's what's the opponent that the um, Harlem Globetrotters always play. Oh yeah. I know what you're talking about. And they're only there to lose to the Globetrotters. Yeah. And sometimes it feels a little bit like that where it's like, we're playing this game because we're contractually obligated to put on a certain number of games. And this is the opponent that we could find logistically to make it happen. Um, I mean, I'm sure that was part of it here, but Nigeria also was like, we studied the game tape. Yeah. And I think it's, I mean, Nigeria is going to the World Cup, right? Like this for them is actually a great opportunity to to get a sense of, of where they stand, especially because I think they underperformed in their own yeah. qualifiers, right? And Randy Waldrum, I think, has has definitely come under fire a little bit as head coach. And it's been really interesting from over here to kind of watch the tightrope that he's on of, you know, he wants more positive stories about the team and the expectations are really high from <laughs> their their media and their supporters. And so there is this sense of like, no, you have to prove yourself to us, like as a as a coach that you're gonna be prepared to bring this team into the World Cup and have them perform at the correct level. But I I mean like that the game again in DC, they just looked honest like I think they were a legitimate challenge for the US right. women's national team and and in a really good way that I think should give that team a lot of confidence. And, th- and to be fair, they were missing key players too. So like when you in in terms of like the greater context of where that team is right now, that's that, a big result. That 2-1 game should have been if you're a Gotham fan, honestly, it just made my heart sink because I was like Ifiana Manu is such a threatening striker if she has a proper structure underneath her and a team that kind of has a better feel for what's going on, she looked so good in a lot of moments in, in that second game. 
And I was like, if you're a Gotham fan and you're watching this, you should be screaming like, <laughs> what? We <laughs> yeah. have this player? Why are we not? Yeah. You know? Right. So. Yeah. But obviously yeah. she's just one woman, so. Yeah. And I, I think that's going to be the interesting thing to watch and also to see what other games Nigeria is able to schedule in between now. And like, this is going to be the really interesting thing, right? Like, obviously, US is going to Europe for the next two friendlies and then they're bringing Germany here. So this is now really finally where a lot of these teams are going to be getting little glimpses at each other because finally Europe is out of qualifying. And so now I think scheduling is going to be really interesting for a lot of nations. I mean, scheduling, God, are we still kind of waiting to see if that game against England is still going to... Yeah, I mean, I I do obviously... um, with Elizabeth's death, like the fact that WSL games are happening and the fact that Premier League games are happening minus three that are being postponed because of the funeral by the time October 7th rolls around, like I feel like we probably would have heard whispers coming out from the FA that like they were going to run into logistical problems. But yeah, I mean, like honestly, that was one of my first thoughts of just like, okay, this is this is going to change the vibe of this game because I think before it was going to be just kind of this huge giant party, right? Like sold out Wembley and everything. And now I'm very curious to see what the mood around, you know, I think that they're obviously going to acknowledge the queen's death and it's just, it's going to be a really strange and fascinating thing to be at in a strange kind of like, well, as an American history. Yeah. Yeah. As an American, just watching like, so how do you guys, feel about this like yeah there's maybe not for this podcast if we did some kind of like not even a soccer podcast but like a history and culture podcast but yeah Yeah. I mean it it is like having been in locations when something major like I was in Italy when the Pope died and that was (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's a real I was I was studying abroad in Rome and was in in St. Peter's Plaza for both the announcement of JP2's death and then we were there when the smoke was going off for the election of Benedict. So if you want to talk about strange historical moments to witness in person, that's two of them. Wow. So, wow. <laughs> that's one of my, my fun stories of just like, yeah, uh, I happen to be in Italy. Um, and the American uh, television crews kept interviewing like me and all my classmates, because they were like, you speak English. (laughs) (laughs) We were just like, okay, cool. Um, So yeah, that's a fun story from my life. Um, (laughs) Okay, let's talk about the England and Spain games, because I do think that the current mood around the team from the general public is like, wow, they're about to get smashed by these two teams. Yeah, I think this is carryover from the Euros discourse, right? Where everyone was like, everyone looks so great at the Euros and the US doesn't look great. And I was like, because the teams at the Euros are in Euros shape and the US (laughs) is a year out from their major tournament. Yeah. Like, yes, they're kind of qualifying, but it's CONCACAF. Yeah, it's qualifying. Yeah. And they are two different. I mean, it is just to take that, that step. Like, you have England and Spain who need to maintain that form of major tournament into major tournament into major tournament. Right. Which is a very different cycle from U.S. women's national team, which is allowed that kind of, okay, Olympics qualifying, yes, important, but it is a downswing back up into an upswing. So 
There's also another thing here, which is I was talking to Claire Watkins, who writes over at Just Women Sports about this, and she was saying that she was wondering how many fans are people who came on kind of around 2019, and so this is their very first experience of the four-year cycle Mm -hmm. of, like, where we should be in those four years between 19 and 2023, which was an interesting point because, yeah, it is four years in between cycles, so sometimes... It's very common that a lot of the fans just weren't there to experience the pre- what Sometimes this team year? does not look very good. Right. Right. Like I'm <laughs> like, that is kind like, of just a part of the Like yeah. remember going into 2011, the doldrums? Oh, yeah. oh my god. Well, I mean, you think about going into 2011 and the fact that they barely qualified in 2010, right? right. Like Exactly. Look, it, no, the, it took that 0910 kind of like dark period. <laughs> Grim. Yeah, 2008 into 2000, just... Right. Again, but also, I mean, I remember the the team heading into 2015, right? Like, that was also not a super fun time. And I don't think that the team also figured out what the hell it was doing until mm, halfway into the tournament either, right? right? Like, there are times where this team looks fallible. Like, and that's, I think, just part of the deal. I guess the question, and this is the larger question that, I think we've kind of been discussing for about a year now is did the Olympics, well, A, did the U.S. Women's National Team actually learn anything from the Olympics? But B, have these teams now seen the performance in the Olympics and especially the, I mean, that opening loss to Sweden, right? Um, the Just kind of the vibe around it. Like they seem human now in a way that they especially did not seem human in 2019, right? I think maybe with the exception of the, honestly, the USA-Spain game was the only one where it felt like this could go in any direction and it would feel okay. Um, but in 2019, they kind of cruised through that tournament in a way that no one really expected and then to like come back down to earth so violently in a way. And right. now you have teams coming out of Euros going, yeah. Well, even for longer-term fans, not every cycle is the same. This is a cycle we've had to see some kind of like partial... I don't want to say rebuild, rebuild, but evolution, where this is the first time in a couple of cycles where we're really dropping off veteran players and having to work in some of the newer recruits, the younger players, really integrate them. And not just in a come along with us and get an experience in the World Cup way, but like you need to be ready for the World Cup because you're going to be starting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of way. Yeah. Right? Like it's very likely in 2023 at some point we'll probably get some kind of Naomi Girma, Alana Cook starting center back. Yeah, sure. Yeah. For- or uh, Sophia Smith, Katarina Macario, Mal Pugh. Right, right. Front three. Just like different areas of the field where we haven't had that kind of drastic change for a, a long time due to various factors, including maybe Vlaco's predecessors, not as heavily looking into that kind of rotation, but maybe they also didn't need to. I don't know. So there's a lot of factors. Four years is such a long time to have to plan towards like peaking a team at the right moment while also trying to be like aware that four years is a lot a long time for a lot of things to go wrong and for players to get injured or to to quit or to you know some other player to emerge and like immediately skunk the dynamic that you had going and you have to be like do i abandon what i was doing because this new thing is just too good to ignore like that's why i don't want to be a coach ever also (laughs) i'm not smart enough 
Yeah, it's going to, I just think it's going to be really interesting. I also think that you can't, I don't know, the U.S., no matter who is on this team, I think that there is some like weird mental switch that gets flipped when they're about to enter a big game kind of scenario, right? Mm -hmm. And what I would be really interested to see is when we look at the two games coming up this month as a unit, right? Are they going to go too hard? For the Wembley game and then come back down to earth against Spain? Do they walk into Wembley, get beaten, and then turn it around? Like, it's just, I think it's going to be really interesting and really instructive as to A, I don't know if I would say like where the team actually is right now. I mean, I think we're going to learn a lot about the US women's national team out of yeah. these two games in a way that we have not in basically anything else this year. But I also think that it is not going to be no matter what these two results are, that it means that they are somehow like off track of where they should be because, again, they need to be in a different place right now. The things that I would be looking for out of these games, including the two friendlies that just got announced, is not scoreline. And I know that sounds kind of like wishy-washy, mealy-mouthed, woo-woo or whatever, but truly I am not looking at scoreline. Unless the scoreline is like 7-1, some kind of Boston (laughs) Breakers nonsense, (laughs) right? But what I am looking for is like players putting in consistent performances in the same positions on the field. Like how is Vlatko rotating? Is he rotating? We've seen he seems to have a very, he favors, you know, certain players in certain positions. So there's some players you can, with, you know, a fair degree of certainty, you can be like, all right, Mal Pugh, Sophia Smith, they're going to line up this way, you know, and and so I think what people should really be looking at is like consistency over time in these positions to get a feel more for like how we're doing, while also keeping in mind that we have yet to get back Katarina Macario, and mm-hmm. Vlaco has made it clear, he's made it crystal clear that he has to make room for her in his team. He rates her so highly, and she's so good if she's at all in any way, shape, ready for the World Cup, he has to make room for her on this squad somewhere, somehow. Right. Yeah, it's going to be, I don't know, it's going to be really interesting. And then to, to toss in two Germany games at home, right? Like, I think that's going to also provide some really interesting looks just because two looks against Germany, back to, like, we don't usually see that. Usually Germany's over here for, like, a She Believes Cup or something like that. So you're only getting one crack at them. So... It's going to be really interesting to see kind of the chess battle of game two and how the two teams adjust against each other. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think like it's such a is. I mean, from a pure entertainment standpoint, these next four games are just such high level. It's going to be really fun. Great entertainment. And then from the prep standpoint, I think this was a great lineup, like top opposition away and at home, and then they're going to go into that January camp with a ton of data and be like, all right, this is the final push right before we start trying to peak at the right time. And then also the big question is you go back to 2019, right? They went to France. So are we going to see them travel first thing off in the new year and try to figure out, okay, what does it look like for us to maybe put some real miles on these players and start thinking about, okay, This is where the World Cup is going to be. You know, they just did the trip to Australia. I mean, not just, but they have been to Australia relatively recently. But is there an opportunity for them to to put themselves kind of in that general location? Is there an opportunity to try to figure out, okay, this is what the actual experience of the World Cup is going to be like? And also, I mean, if we think back to 2019, they, they went over to France for that first game and got 
smushed <laughs> real bad. <laughs> and it, it was complete panic mode, right? Like, I mean, it, it, to be fair, like, I think it was kind of a very interesting thing. And then they, that gave them so much stuff, I think, to, to work from that without that loss, I don't, I would be curious to see what the alternate history is if they go in and, and get this kind of like comfortable win against France in France, because mm-hmm. I just think that it was so instructive for them. And I don't know if you would get that same kind of performance, you know, it, whether they, they go to New Zealand or Australia or somewhere in that, you know, general direction. Um, if they're going to get a team that maybe challenges them as much. Um, but it, I think the next four games are going to be that direct challenge and you're doing it in Europe and you're doing it at home. I wonder how much of the current like kind of restlessness is because there didn't seem to be any kind of emotional resolution to whatever happened at the Olympics. Yeah. We I mean, still, I think that's fair. We still don't know. Clearly something happened like mentally. This is a team that normally, like you said, France 2019 gets smushed, win the whole thing. Right. Yep. This is a yeah. team that normally responds very well to adversity and loss and is like, oh, you made me bleed my own blood. <laughs> <laughs> True. Okay. Yeah. 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 A hundred percent. And then at the Olympics, something went and we were all like, OK, any minute now they're going to course correct. This is the team that reacts. And then they didn't. And we were like, what? And right. it just shook people foundationally because, you know, that's. That's usually where conflict happens, right? It showed that there is is the armor of the mentality and fitness of this team is not... There's spots where they can be pierced. There's a a mismatch between expectation and reality, and that's usually where conflict occurs. Not to be therapy about it, but in general. And so I think that is part of, like, no one's... Nobody was willing to say anything about it. Understandable. We're probably not going to find out until like 10 years from now when someone someone writes their, a book, yeah, right, their autobiography. <laughs> and it's like, you know, somebody insulted somebody's mom and it snowballed from there. But, <laughs> you know, and so we never understood why we never got any kind of catharsis. And so everyone is still maybe kind of stuck in that child state yeah, of trauma. But also, I, I think like, I think it really rattled people um, around Vlatko too, right? Like that we just didn't it and course correction from the U.S. Women's National Team, but also course correction from the coach, right? And from a from a guy who had such a reputation for being that kind of high-level tactical locker, mind. Yeah. Like, you know, tactical like, mind, but also locker room management. Right. And so I think, yeah, the team is still kind of in that hole <laughs> with a <laughs> lot of people. But it has been really interesting, right, for, for both of us to be in Mexico and to then you know, be talking to someone like Becky Sauerbrunn in a mix zone and her just to say like, the vibe of this team is so good right now, right? Like we've we've been kind of like trapped in rooms with each other for mm-hmm. like a month at this point. And we feel like a team in a way. And now I guess the question is, can you get that and see it in a result against England, Spain, Germany, of if they feel that good, right? Like if mm-hmm. they feel like they are building this chemistry off the field, are we going to see that translated in a way that we did not see in the Olympics? Which to be fair, the weirdest goddamn Olympics we've ever had. But just, yeah, everything about that team felt off. The vibes, man. <laughs> yeah, it was just, I mean, I don't know. It's It's kind of... You know, I think it's a really hard thing to to try to win a third World Cup 
in a row. Um, and I don't know how fair the expectation is that the U.S. Women's National Team should walk in and win a third World Cup in a row, but I also don't think that they are in quite as much danger as the general vibe seems to be from the outside. Right. They're in some danger, but not as They're, much yeah. as you think. Yeah. I, I think that's fair. Yeah. Like, I think that is a, a a pretty... I don't know. Like, when Becky Sauerbrunn is like, no, I think we're where we should be, I'm like, okay, I trust you. Anyone <laughs> You would is, know better than I do. <laughs> right. Anyone who has ever had to project manage, or hell, anyone who's ever had to be the manager for a friend group going on an outing <laughs> of more than, like, four people should like not be so quick to be like why can't that locker room be cohesive like are you kidding me <laughs> 20 22 to 25 the most hyper competitive athlete brain people in the world who just in like making them all click in a way where they function together they don't all got to be friends that's a recurring theme right where we're in especially in women's sports like everyone wants them to be besties but they're like no 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 we're not all friends were coworkers, but mm-hmm. like getting them to function in a hyper public, hyper competitive, high pressure environment consistently for years on end, especially with like some turnover happening in the office. Like if you've never had to try to organize a friend group day out to Six Flags, <laughs> even you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I do, I do. Who's the mom friend of the U.S. Women's National Team? Exactly. <laughs> like that's that's I mean, and that's kind of I guess the role of a captain, right? Is turning into the mom friend who is just like okay. getting in the group chat, and being like, "I see not all of us have put down our deposits for the Airbnb. Please Venmo me." <laughs> God. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right. Um, <laughs> we're recording this on September 13th. We've got a few weeks to the end of the regular season. We've got a few weeks until USA versus England, both stuff, and I will be going to that game on the ground um 
it should be, I think, a very interesting experience. Um, and then NWSL playoffs. The other thing, and this is like a real hard turn shift into topic conversation. On Monday, U.S. Soccer announced <laughs> that the Sally Yates investigation <sighs> is wrapping up and that they expect the full report, which has always been the intention, is to release a full report mm-hmm. in early October. And before we start talking, I want to just toss a thought out here because I did see a lot of stuff yesterday on like my tweet of the announcement just about the timing and how bad it is. And I think it's going to be... It's going to be like, it's messy no matter what, right? Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. for me, and this is a personal opinion, I would much rather have it be out. And I think I would also honestly rather have it be out in the middle of all of these other storylines where people might actually be forced to talk about the soccer that is also happening at the exact same time because it's all going to be really big, Mm -hmm. high level event stuff. It's not going to get lost. Mm-hmm. in the shuffle but i think it's also going to mean that you know we talked a lot about how much like sunlight needs to help for this league and the results of these investigations and at a time where people are going to be paying attention to the u.s women's national team to the nwsl for playoffs and championship i actually don't hate this timing because it's going to force us to have a bigger conversation at a time where a lot more people might actually be a part of it Right. I think there's some factors here that I was thinking about. One being when I was looking at the timing, I was like, oh, they're going to be in Europe. And I'm like, maybe I don't hate that there's a little bit of insulation there for the team not having to play in a home crowd during a situation like this where, yes, we are talking about it. It's important. Like you said, sunlight, we got to put it out there at the same time for the players personally being in Europe. There's maybe a little bit more psychological as well as geographic buffer for them to like just put their toe into the waters first and then they come home and then we talk more about it. Uh, Another point being like from the way the players in U.S. soccer have talked about the CBA process, I think it's clear that there's a lot more communication happening, especially with Cindy Parlacone in the mix. And so the players would certainly, even if they don't necessarily have like control over when it happens, they'd have input into maybe like the timing of it all or how it's going to happen or at least being able to say like maybe or at least being able to say like this is how it's going to impact us we just want you guys to know when you decide on all this stuff and another one being you know sally yates being a factor where it's like she does seem like very pro women's national team um it's maybe not a major factor but it is something that i think people can think about when they're thinking about like is is this contributing to like a, a an oppositional U.S. soccer and players relationship or like what else is going on behind the scenes there or like Sally Yates being a factor in this as the investigator um, maybe lends a little bit more to like not as much disharmony as you might think in, in, in the whole process, if that yeah. makes sense. I mean, I, I, it's just... We don't really know what to expect, right? We don't right. know what these findings are going to be. If I had to to make a guess, I would I would assume that she knows the broad strokes of what's going to be in this report, and probably the U.S. Soccer Board of Governors has been kind of informed of it. Um, I mean, the whole thing all along, Cindy Parlocone has, I mean, told me in person multiple times, like if there were any immediate findings, those were getting passed over to her. As soon, like, if there was something that needed immediate attention, that was going to her 
ASAP. And mm-hmm. to be fair, I don't know if we'd know <laughs> if any of this would have been communicated, but, um, you know, I think it is, I, I, the NWCL, NWCLPA investigation is still hanging out. The, the current ETA from them is really just by the end of the year. Their scope, I think also to be fair, is different. Um, I think we kind of all assumed, okay, they, at some point they're going to maybe <laughs> figure out how to release these things in yeah. some sort of arranged thing. And now I don't, the vibe that I have from, from conversations is that is not exactly going to happen, but also I think it's going to be fair that there are going to be discrepancies in the, these two reports. And I think mm-hmm. that's also partially because ye technically the organization were one and the same for a while there, but now I think that the viewpoints are slightly different. So I think the lines of questioning are probably going to be different. So this is really, you know, I think we have three to four weeks to kind of prepare as best as possible. But the big, the big remaining thing is, are people going to trust this report? And I think the the only thing that they can do is to release the entirety of the report, which is mm-hmm. the plan, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, we've seen it for the NCAA with the gender equity report, right? That having the full process kind of in writing mm-hmm. would hopefully, hopefully maybe feel like people can trust the result. But I mean, what happens if, you get the U.S. soccer report in early October, and then let's say the NWCL, NWCL PA one comes out in November after the end of the season, and they find something different. Like, how do you rank? <laughs> how do you hold if there are two different kind of sets of findings that maybe conflict with each other? How do you decide which one is more right? Right. And that's, that's- going to be, I think, a big question moving into later this fall. That is the trouble, though, where people after investigations or the beginning of reconciliation processes, they want clear answers. And the one thing that we've learned through this whole Michigas is that in situations like this, often there aren't clear answers. I mean, there's clearly like bad behavior. This guy had to go. But I'm talking about like fans struggling with, well, how do I still support the team? I want to give money to the owner, blah, blah, blah. And then like you talked about the process. What if there's discrepancies between descriptions of things were like, well, there were different investigative bodies and they might have talked to different people or they might have talked to the same person, but at different times and different circumstances, they might have asked them different questions. And like you said, different scopes of the investigations where, correct me if I'm wrong, but my the vibe I get from U.S. soccer, the way they talk about it is they've kind of looked at this like, we are the governing body for soccer in the United States, so we need to take a look at it from that perspective. Whereas NDUSL has their own focus about maybe more specific yeah i'm league. just honestly curious and to be fair sally Yates is completely independent right and mm-hmm. and i personally believe that mm-hmm. <laughs> where that she is not you know proceeding to the beat of some marching order from u.s soccer of you got to figure out how we're gonna massage this but i mean u.s soccer was directly overseeing the league for a, a good chunk of its history and so I guess that is the question of, are you coming at it from the point of view of a governing body now where you have had that divorce between the NWCL and U.S. soccer? Or are Mm -hmm. you coming at it from the perspective of we were directly involved in this and we've got to figure out 
did we go wrong, where we went wrong. Because now like they're not gonna they're not gonna have that same oversight role, right? right? So like you're not trying to fix that process because that process is already gone. Right. But that's the question to me is is there going to be some admission of fault at US soccer? Because based on reports, especially from someone like Molly Hensley Clancy, right? And the fact that Kristen Press tried to report former Chicago Red Stars head coach Rory Dames to mm-hmm. <laughs> US soccer. Right. And not just even setting aside all of the the Portland stuff, all of this other stuff. Like we have a report from a player of trying to go directly to U.S. soccer. Right. There has to be some involvement, (laughs) some sort of examination of their own role in the NWSL. And I would hope that that is within the scope of the U.S. soccer investigation. But then the question becomes, because that is done, Mm -hmm. there's no... There's no fixing that, right? It's mm-hmm. just an acknowledgement. And are you comfortable even with an acknowledgement? I I think if anything, if people, in terms of like emotionally preparing yourself, Portland that you mentioned, that's maybe an example of a place where people sadly are able to kind of get used to this idea that there's going to be discrepancies and things. The report from Daylight Piper that leaked um, overviewing the Thorns' original investigation around how they dismissed Paul Riley, which got reported on in the Oregonian and ESPN. Um, There's already been, you know, Manashim took issue, I think, with the way some of those findings were characterized already. And Yeah, I mean, I've had had people, I've been on multiple phone calls with people from the league, and they're like, that's not an investigation because all they talked to was their own people. Like, that's not... That is right. a, you can call it like a workplace review or whatever. Right, exactly. If you're having a, a one conversation with one person in that room, you can't call it. But it's clearly an example of like how you ask questions, who you ask mm-hmm. questions, when you ask those questions influences the result that you get. So I think people just need to keep in mind they may not get clear cut answers. Um, it may, in fact, give them more questions. It's okay to feel weird and gross and and really frustrated and like this is a whole difficult situation. And yeah, I I think just calling for people to like maybe just sit on something for a little bit before you yeah, say Yeah, I mean it out I think loud. I think it is going to take a while to die. like if if Sally Yates is out here dropping a 100 page PDF, right? Like we're all going to need to take some time to sit with it. Um right. And again, there is kind of the the other investigation. In theory, FIFA still has their investigation. I mean, who knows where that one is at? But, you know, there are truly so many moving pieces to this that it is, I mean, if you want to talk about a thing that like resists kind of a an instant take, mm-hmm. it's going to be this report, truly, right. I, I think. like, um, And there might be like really clear cut takeaways from it. There might not be, but... But right at the moment, yeah, it really is just kind of, I don't know. It's going to be just yeah. in terms of like the day even that it drops, like it's going to drive conversation. And as soon as it drops, like the conversation is going to change drastically from the one that we've been having for a year. Um, and then as soon as the NWSL, NWSL PA investigation drops, then I think we get another change in conversation. You know, there's there's just a lot still that needs to happen. and. Right. It's just going to be, it's going to be, I think, really important for us to keep a lot of this stuff in context and 
try to have a really, <laughs> it's not going to, we're not going to be able to boil down this down to a sentence, I don't think. No. The one last thing I would want people to keep in mind contextually when this stuff does hit is that as much as we need to be mindful of like the the players um, and looking to them to like follow the lead of like letting the people who were the victims of abuse set their own like schedule or context river for what happened to them, being mindful of also not like re-traumatizing players like all this shit coming out into the public is probably going to be heavier for some players more than others and i think it's important to keep in mind for example kaya mccullough has spoken repeatedly about how like please don't like i've said what i what i say and if i want to say something i will go yeah. like i will go to the appropriate venue to say it but please don't come to me because like it's re-traumatizing yeah. me right. when you're asking me constantly to like speak on this or recontextualize it or tell you how i feel about it so i think that's the other part of the context where we remember like there's a superhuman cost to all of this yeah so right. another reason like maybe sit on that first take for a little bit yeah i mean I, and the other part too that we're still waiting to see is the the espn e60 documentary right on kind of the last year and the NWSL like we we kind of know what the the scope of this is going to be um some players participated in it as well so I think that that will give them another mechanism to kind of share that viewpoint but we know that there's going to be some level of original interviews into some of the folks who are directly involved um Lisa Baird is in the trailer for instance so you know, I think there's going to be that part to it as well, that I don't really know what direction that's going to take us in, in the slightest. So, yeah, it's just, I think it's going to be a very strange October. I'll put it that way. That's a pretty good title for a podcast, A Very Strange <laughs> October. It's my uh, only murders in the building ask ability to <laughs> say the name of a an episode without meaning to. <laughs> always recording always <laughs> all right um final final topic um let's let's go with something slightly lighter um what are you watching right now speaking of only murders uh obviously i watched league of their own <laughs> correct um i actually my big thing that i was waiting for was not a show but a book um, I don't know how many people out there are reading the Locked Tomb series, but Nona the Ninth just dropped. It's the third in the series. We had Gideon the Ninth and um, Harrow after that. And I definitely binged this whole book. And it's that thing where you immediately need to find someone to like kind of <laughs> scream at them with, but yeah, it's a little bit harder because it's not a book. that person. <laughs> yeah. But Which is yeah. very rare for the two of us. Yeah, it's a good time for you know, you just want to sit there and indulge in all your favorite thoughts about your your favorite characters, your little blorbos, your pure little your poor little meow meows, meow meows holding them close to your heart. So yeah, I think that's where I'm at right now in terms of media. Uh, I'm consuming. Oh, the Emmys! Got to give a shout out to Abbott Elementary. Mm -hmm. um, that was uh, also the weirdest Emmys intro I've ever seen. I think in my entire life. 
I watched like, it entirely. Like, I came in, like, a minute late, and I was just like, I don't know what's happening right now. <laughs> I didn't even watch the broadcast. I just watched yeah. it secondhand to find out who <laughs> won and, like, watched clips of the best a, moments. A much, a much smarter process. I, I tapped out, like, right. part of the way through, and I was like, I'm I'm good. I don't know. I, I apparently have become a person who doesn't care about the Emmys, which is probably a good thing for my own development as a human yeah. being compared yeah, to yeah. when I had very firm opinions about the Emmys. What are you watching? Um, well, you got us started on a Grey's Anatomy rewatch. Um, so we, Marjorie and I have been rewatching Grey's slowly but surely. I have finally finished Drive to Survive. Um, so I am now fully caught up on that front and have been just watching races. Um, I'm trying to think what else. I don't know if we've really started anything. We also watched, obviously, League of Our Own. Um, we have not watched the new Game of Thrones show yet. I'm kind of resisting because I don't super care about Targaryens. I am not... I, I didn't even watch the original Game of Thrones. Like, I've seen a couple episodes. But the new one, every time I see some of the characters, I think I told you about this that meme right about how like this is definitely a face that i've seen a cell phone (laughs) (laughs) and i don't know what the makeup the costuming the lighting the framing something i'm just like i fully expect this person to be like tiktoking themselves and their dragons like that's yeah so yeah i just don't i don't know we also aren't watching the the new lord of the Rings show i don't know we just we're we're casting about for a show i guess at the moment beyond the grays rewatch Right. Which we will tap out as as always by the time Christina leaves. So we've only got a limited, not the full thing. Yeah, Re- maybe that's a whole another podcast as well. The Grey's rewatch because rewatching it now as opposed to when it originally aired, which was a horrifying number of years ago. Yeah, like, my mindset now it feels just like, very much of its time. Right. Well, I'm also like some of these people are truly awful. Like at the time, I was like, oh, eh, whatever. And now I'm like, oh my god. Yeah. These are we'll, some of the worst people on earth. We can, uh, we'll put it out into the world. If you would like me, Steph, and probably <laughs> my wife to talk about Grey's Anatomy on a bonus episode of this podcast, just tweet at us and we'll make it happen because it will get rambunctious very quickly. <laughs> just a walking sexual harassment lawsuit of a hospital. All right. On that note, Steph, uh, if nothing else, I think we will have a podcast from London, I would bet. Um, so in the meantime, I guess just stick with us and we'll we'll keep living the end of this all regular season game by game. Thank you to Steph. Again, we will both be in London. I'm sure we're going to have a lot of content Coming out of that, hopefully some crossovers with the UK pods uh, here at The Athletic as well. But first, uh, for all things full-time, you can visit fulltimepod.com. There are links for all the major podcast platforms in one spot, plus, of course, more information about the show. And if you would like to subscribe to The Athletic and support all of our women's soccer coverage, again, you can do that right now at theathletic.com slash full-time. My name is Meg. You have been listening to Full Time with Meg Linehan. You can always find me on Twitter and Instagram at It's Meg Linehan and my work at The Athletic. Full Time does not exist without the work and support of senior podcast producer Michael Zimmerman. From The Athletic, I'm Meg. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.